Good evening. It's good to see you in person even. That's great. So about a year ago, after being uh, missionaries in the UK for about 20 years, um, and just so you know, we've been supported as, as Calvary Vista missionaries for half my life. And I know I look really young, but half my life. So we are so thankful for you guys and the support that you have, uh, you know, provided for us over many years of ministry in uh, my wife starting in Yugoslavia and then us being in Hungary and then Austria and then the United Kingdom. And then a year ago, we went to, went to Cyprus. And if you could bring up that slide for me. There we go. So um, there should be a map there. Is there a map there? Yes. Okay, so because um, many people are like, where is Cyprus? Well, we're in the Middle East, um, in the Mediterranean. And um, so, you know, 50 miles from Turkey, 150 from Syria, 250 from uh, Egypt. When I look out from my, uh, you know, the closest beach to me, when I look south, uh, the next thing is Alexandria, uh, Egypt. So, and then we have Greece, some 350 miles away, uh, the island of Crete there. So, um, it's a divided island. Uh, the, the north is, is uh, it was invaded in 1974 uh, by the Turks, and it is uh, an occupied territory. It's not a recognized country by anybody except for the Turkish, who also have uh, lots of troops there. And so the north is Islamic territory, um, and then you have this, this, the UN buffer zone, and then the south is, is EU, it's Greek Orthodox, um, and it's, of course, it's a recognized uh, country. It's, um, if you turn to the next side, it is one of the most militarized places on the face of uh, the planet because it, it is, um, it's valuable real estate for its location uh, in the Middle East, um, a very strategic place geopolitically, um, and it's also strategically placed for us for the gospel because Asia, Africa, Europe, they kind of converge right there. And so we have people from all over the place that come to this little island. And the north, for us, it's a door into the, the Middle East to be able to reach out to many uh, students um, from middle, many Middle Eastern countries, uh, refugees, asylum seekers. And then in the south, you've got the Western world who's represented there. There's a strong British connection because it used to be a British uh, colony. There's uh, a lot of Chinese and Russian investors. And then, of course, a lot of asylum seekers and refugees uh, as well. And so um, we're working uh, with Calvary Chapel Paphos. If you put up the next one. This screen's amazing. I love it. Um, so uh, 16 years ago, Tim and Darlene Maddox, uh, there, there, um, they uh, launched out to, to Cyprus and um, started reaching out with the gospel and planted Calvary Chapel Paphos. Um, I started coming along about six years ago, bringing um, outreach teams from uh, the Bible College in the United Kingdom, and we became closer and closer friends, and then the Lord kind of knit our hearts together and led us to minister together. And so we're both pastoring uh, Calvary Chapel Paphos. It's a, it's a very international church, 
Uh, we have Europeans, we have some Americans, uh, we have Africans, we have people from uh, the Middle East, we have people from China, yeah. we have uh, a weekly um, Chinese and Vietnamese uh, Bible study, which is, is headed up by, by this uh, family here. Um, and I'm, I'm not sharing a lot with you as well, because I have to be careful. Um, I did have a guy from ISIS who was following me on Instagram, so... I had to make it private, unfortunately. Um, so uh, it's a unique opportunity, Cyprus, where we're located, to invest in people from all around the world. Uh, even though we've been in, under harsh COVID restrictions, uh, we've seen God work. People coming to Christ from many different nations. And some of them returning back to different places. And so uh, we, ha- we now actually we have a missionary in Nepal. We have a missionary in the Philippines, and then we have connections in India as well, all from this little uh, island in the Mediterranean. Uh, we have weekly English classes as a, as a form of, of outreach. Uh, Youth for Christ uh, is uh, at work uh, in our midst as well, reaching out to the youth. And then we also we, we oversee another little church uh, in another part of the island, uh, reaching out there. Um, we have a vision to uh, establish a discipleship school uh, with these, you know, we, we've got lots of people um, who will probably return to their home countries, whether they're going to go back to Africa or Asia or the Middle East. But our heart is to disciple them, equip them, so that when they go back, they can take the gospel with them and uh, equip others also. Yeah? So, so that's what we're doing uh, in a nutshell, greatly appreciate your prayers for us. Missionaries need prayer. I don't know if you know that. Um, pray for us that we would be empowered too, that we would be empowered with the gospel. We want to boldly proclaim Christ, yeah? Um, and that we would be provided with everything that we need because we have to eat and stuff like that too. Um, I didn't know if you guys know that, but we do. Um, with, there's also uh, missionaries serving in the Islamic North. And we desire to be a strong support to them, but uh, I can't share a whole lot there, but I can share nothing's really happening because of COVID. Uh, We've been under really uh, tight restrictions. So, um, yeah, this is a baptism we did recently. Uh, We're out on the beach um, every Sunday that we can uh, for fellowship in, in 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 the evening time, and it's also our outreach as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I didn't propose to this guy. He was baptized. So just so you know, clear that up there. Um, and, uh, this couple, they were praying that God would provide them a vineyard so that they could hire, uh, migrant workers to work in the vineyard to share with them Jesus. And God gave them a vineyard. And so he's just thanking Jesus for that. So, all sorts of stuff. This is our Christmas food distribution. Um, as we're, we're reaching out in that way, that's opened up doors for us to, to minister to Cypriots and also to um, asylum seekers. So I said that all really fast. Hopefully you caught it. So um, yeah, so I'm excited about what God is doing. Hopefully that's exciting for you to hear and really appreciate your prayers. So I think the next slide, the next slide is, um, it's a shot from from my blog. Um, so if you want to catch us, uh, our blog is Mission520 um, on Instagram, Mission520. Once again, I had to make this private because of the ISIS guy. 
Yeah, what a, what a weird world we live in. Um, you know, when a guy's got an AK-47 and he's talking to you, but you know. Yeah, so. Can you turn to John chapter 4? <laughs> After all that. And I'm going to share with you a little story from my blog here. So on one, as you're opening to, to John chapter 4, and I'm going to open there too, so I'm there too. Um, on one particular Sunday morning, I was manning the door of the church, and this couple, I could tell, they had come from a long distance. It was very, very hot. It wasn't a very pleasant uh, day to be walking. And they came, and they were wanting food. And we do give out food, but... Um, not this particular day. And I was trying to explain to them that this was our worship day and that we weren't distributing food that day. And we, I just didn't have any food. And it's never, ever fun to tell people who need food that you can't give them food. And it was evident to me that they were refugees who had just been processed probably through the camp and that whatever they had been given was probably already gone. It was a man and a woman. And so when I told them we had no food and I was kind of sending them away, they were obviously disheartened. And they got a few meters away. And I was, I mean, I was crushed as well, sending them away without being able to give them anything. And then this thought just popped into my mind. And I called out to them and I said, are you from Somalia? I knew they were from Somalia, just by the way they were dressed. I knew they were from Somalia. But they turned around, they stopped, and they, and they nodded in the affirmative. And I said to them, I said, there was a bombing last night in Mogadishu, in your capital. Is your family, are they okay? And everything changed in that moment. I mean, he, this guy was meters away, and he walked all the way back up towards me and he said you know about the bombing I said yes and he said thank you so much for asking about my family thank you that you care and he said my name is and he told me his name and they were they were a Muslim couple and he introduced the woman as well and his face, you know, that was so troubled just moments before was now smiling. And I could tell that she was smiling behind her medical mask as well. And they said, our families are okay. They're okay. It's a difficult time. But thank you. Thank you. It's nice to meet you. Thank you that you care. We will be back. And you know what that was? That was just God's compassion that was given to me for them. And there, you know, they deal with people that don't care about them at all, all the time. And we can do much if we're open to extend God's compassion to others. And that's what I want to look at this evening is Jesus, his character, his compassion for people. Yeah, John chapter 4, I'm sure many of you are familiar with this passage. This, this text takes us back to when, when Jesus, you know, who became man, is, is walking among men, and he's walking among women. We're taken to a, a dusty desert road under the midday heat of a desert day by an ancient well. 
And, you know, as we travel back in time, a time far removed from ours, we'll see that the problems faced by people, them, cultural and social, that they're similar to situations we face today. And I just wanted to ask the question, you know, I ask this for myself, is how does Jesus respond to this kind of situations? What can we learn about God's character here in John chapter 4? For his heart, for people, how can we apply that to our lives today for us to be Jesus to other people? We'll never be Jesus, but we have his Holy Spirit. And so we can have Jesus' compassion and love for others. And so um, as we look at John 4, I'm going to seek to, to pull out eight characteristics of Jesus, okay? That's the goal. So, John chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that, had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And so here we find Jesus and his disciples. They're making their way back home, up to Galilee, as opposition towards Jesus grows in Judea. As the Pharisees heard that people were getting baptized by Jesus and the disciples. And so they're making their way home, and they're passing through an area where the Samaritan people lived. And the Samaritans were a mixed people, a mixed ancestry, a mixed religion. They had many Jewish beliefs and practices, but these were also mixed with pagan ideas and practices. The Samaritans even built their own temple on another mountain. And so it was considered to be a a cult or a sect of Judaism. And because of this and many other reasons in their history, the Samaritans were despised as outcasts by the Jews. They were seen as unclean people. That you didn't associate with these people. If you really wanted to offend another Jew, you would call them a Samaritan. You dirty Samaritan. Yeah? Their animosity between each other had been going on for centuries before Jesus walked upon the earth. And yet you find Jesus, he's passing through Samaria, and our text we read, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, most devout Jews would not pass through Samaria if they could avoid it because of this animosity between Jew and Samaritan. And sometimes Jews would get attacked as they went through Samaria. And so many devout Jews, if we could put up that map, boom, they would, instead of going taking the direct route going up, they would go over the Jordan River, up, over the Jordan River again. Avoid those Samaritans. Stay away from those people because they're yucky. We don't want anything to do with them. So they might do that, 
but not Jesus. He had to go through Samaria because he had, as we will see, a divine appointment with a woman there. Now, she didn't know about this appointment, but Jesus knew that he had to pass that way despite and in spite of the deep prejudices of the people of that day. And that's the first thing that we we learn about Jesus' character, is that Jesus does not see people as other people so often do. He's not constrained by the prejudices, the stereotypes that people have in regards to culture, class, nationality, whatever. And in fact, Jesus is quite comfortable in going against the grain, to opposing those stereotypes. He's quite comfortable with that, and he hasn't changed. He was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is still the same in regards to this. So Jesus, he's tired, it says here. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus is tired. He's tired from his journey. He's tired from the toil of ministry that he was doing beforehand. It's, you know, noon. It's desert hot. (laughs) We're not told the last time he had eaten or slept. And in this little glimpse there, we see Jesus' humanity. Although he is God, he so fully took upon himself humanity except for sin That there he is, here in the desert heat, is God experiencing human weakness, frailty, limitation, and he's doing so intentionally. This is God knowing what it's like to be hot, thirsty, and tired as a human. So that's the second thing we see about Jesus is that Jesus, having taken upon himself humanity, he knows what it's like to be us. He knows what it means to be human. Our weaknesses, our inconveniences, our limitations, our temptations, everything except sin. And this reminds us of God's great compassion for us, that he would go to such great lengths, to identify with you and with me, his rebellious creatures. Yeah? To know what it means to be us. And also so that ultimately that he could be that perfect representative for us, giving his life in exchange for ours on the cross so that we could be made right with God. As it says, Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. I know, because I've experienced it, that we often feel like no one understands. (laughs) No one. No one cares. 
And that God, you know, he's so far off, perhaps he doesn't understand. The reality is, is he does understand. He does understand and he cares. And he went so far to be able to identify with us. It shows the great humility of God and the immense compassion that he has for you and for me to go to that great length to so identify with us. That God is humble. It's not a word so much that we associate with God, but, but He is. He's perfect humility. He's the example of what perfect humility looks like. Okay. What does verse 7 say? There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And John gives a little commentary there. For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So the sixth hour, it's 12 noon. Jesus witnesses a curious sight. He sees a lone woman making her way from a nearby village to get water from the well at the hottest point of the day. That was unusual. Women would normally come as a group to gather water together in the cool of the evening. It was like a social community event. It was a time to catch up with one another as they did their duty of getting the water. And yet, here comes this solitary woman to gather water. The hottest point of the day. And we learn here that she's a Samaritan woman. And Jesus asks this woman for a drink. And to this, she's very, very surprised. Because we've already noted the hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. So if Jesus was to actually drink from her water pot, that would make him ceremonially unclean as a Jew. And that would be an awkward thing. <laughs> and so this woman is kind of taken back. And he's not, he's not just talking to a Samaritan. She even highlights it here. He's talking to a woman. In all the prominent cultures of the day, Roman, Greek, Jewish, Samaritan, women were not highly esteemed. Sorry, ladies. Just the way it was. Often, they were no better than slaves to their fathers or their husbands with no real rights whatsoever. You know, with the Jews, women were rarely allowed to be educated, especially in the Jewish law. Many rabbis believed that it was a sin to educate a woman in the law. They also believed it could be a sin just to talk to women for any length of time. Uh, this is Rabbi uh, Joseph ben Hanan. He says, the sages have said, He that talks much with womankind brings evil on himself 
and neglects the study of the law, and at last will inherit Gehenna. Don't let women study the law. If you do, you might go to hell. Let not a man engage himself in lengthy conversation with a woman, even his wife. Now, I know some of you guys like that, but that's a no-no. All right? No, no. Okay? Some even taught that if you saw your wife in public, you were to ignore her. Nope, don't see ya. Not there. Okay? So, women, you get the idea. Generally looked down upon all the prevalent cultures of the day. And yet, here's Jesus. Jesus is speaking to a woman on her level. Not a Jewish woman, but a Samaritan woman. So that's the third thing that we learn about Jesus. Yeah, That his character is not constrained by the prejudices of sexism. In fact, he intentionally contradicts them as we see him willingly speaking to this woman and also asking for a drink from her which would be like communing with her in that culture. That was a cultural no-go zone. But Jesus is willing to go there because he has a heart for this woman. And Jesus knows that this woman is not just any kind of woman. We'll get to that later. There's a reason why she's come to the well at the hottest time of the day. It's not a coincidence that she came at that time. So look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and he drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw the water. So Jesus begins to talk to her about water, not like the water that's in the well, but living water. Living water that she can have, that he can give, if she wants it. Now her responses are a little condescending. She points out some things. Well, You don't have a water pot, so where are you going to get the water? Who do you think you are anyway? Are you greater than the patriarch, Jacob, who dug the well? And then she kind of says, well, if you have this water, I'd like some so I don't have to come back to the well again. It's a little bit of sarcasm happening there. Now, she doesn't realize who she's talking to, does she? Well, we can't really blame her, can we? Yeah? She doesn't realize that she is actually talking to God. Who's taken on humanity and made his way 
to that well on that day in order to speak to her. She doesn't realize that, but that's the reality. How amazing is that? God is there to talk to her. She doesn't know that He can really give her real living water. Water of a spiritual sort, resulting in eternal life, relationship with God. Now Jesus knows, He knows that she doesn't realize who He is. And He doesn't write her off or judge her or condemn her. He's going to work with her and reveal to her in a greater way who He really is. So, my nose has an agreement with me. It, it runs at the most inconvenient times. I think it did this on Saturday, didn't it? I don't know. My goodness. Okay. The fourth thing about Jesus' character, that God is long-suffering and compassionate. He is patient. And He is willing to work with a heart that is open to Him, even if they don't get it at first. He doesn't write them off unjustly. And if you're thirsty tonight, He's willing to give the living water to you. He beckons you to come. And He can give it. Yeah? Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you have now, six, is, (laughs) well, he's not your husband. What you have said is true. (laughs) The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are are a prophet. This has been a very, very unusual day for this woman, I tell you that. A tired-looking Jewish man is at the local well. Then, when she comes to the well, he talks to her, and he asks her for a drink. He starts talking about living water, and now he reveals something to her about her personal life that in the natural he could never, ever, ever know. The reality of the situation is that she is a woman that has been around, let's say. Yes. Now it it becomes clear why she has come alone in the very heat of the day. She is a despised woman among a despised people. She has a reputation that even her own people can't stomach. And yet, Jesus, God, is speaking to her by divine appointment because God loves those kind of people like me and you. Jesus could have been somewhere else that day, couldn't he? He's God, right? He could have been talking to someone important at that moment, but he isn't. Why? Because he cares about such people. God has a special place in his heart, I believe, for such people. He wants them to know 
Him. He wants them to experience His love, His comfort, His healing care, His tender care. He wants them to know that. He wants them to be with Him forever in His coming kingdom, being made new by Him. Yeah? So that's the fifth thing we see about Jesus' character, is that God has a special place in His heart for the outcast. For those who have, may have taken some wrong turns, made some bad choices, rebelled and ended up in very dark places. Perhaps they're all alone in the desert, at a desert well. You know, I looked so bad at one point before I came to Christ. You know, I had like, I don't know, I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything illegal, but I had about $1,500 on me, and I went into, uh, I don't know, Taco Bell or something, and I just wanted a drink. And so I ordered the drink, and she told me how much it was, and I, I just wanted to give the right change. I started digging for the change, and, and she, no, bro, it's okay, just take it, because I looked that bad. I did. Oh, boy. So, the fifth thing. God has a special place in his heart for the outcast. Yep. And he shows great compassion. He goes to great efforts to reach such people, just as he's doing with this woman here. He cares and he wants to meet their need. So let's not write them off. He has the same heart for the same people today. And you know, even in his love for people, this is very important for us to note, he's not willing to cover up or push aside or put under the rug what he knows to be sin. Because it corrupts and it leads to death for eternity. And so, He doesn't tolerate it. Instead, as he's doing here with this woman, he lovingly exposes it so it can be dealt with. So that's the sixth thing. Is that in his love, God is willing to point out our faults, our sin, and our need, just like he does here with this woman at the will. He's willing for people to perhaps be offended. Oh no. To maybe feel uncomfortable so that they can see their sin. So that they can also see their need and how they can be set free and made whole. And that's Jesus. This woman, this woman that he was talking to was a thirsty woman. Not merely physically, but spiritually as well. And Jesus was willing to point that out so that he could point her to the cure himself, the very source of living waters. Well, understandably, this Samaritan woman, she is shocked by what Jesus has said. He's revealed some stuff he should not know. And that's uncomfortable. (laughs) If she does something that we often do when we feel uncomfortable... She tries to change the subject. Look at verse 19 there. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, 
Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Salvation will come through the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. So Jesus has revealed these things about her life. And so she responds to that by saying, let's not talk about me. Let's talk about religion. Where do we worship? (laughs) On our mountain or in Jerusalem. And Jesus, he takes her effort to talk about religion and he turns it around and he makes it personal to her. He lets her know that it's not about religious places, but that it's about personal relationship with God. That God isn't looking for religion or ritual, yeah, but He's looking for a genuinely spiritual relationship that is based on truth. People that are willing to respond to His offer of relationship in truth with their spirit and worship Him. Willing to humble themselves as they are confronted with their sin and their need for cleansing and forgiveness. To experience genuine spiritual transformation from within that can only happen by confessing of sin. Their need for forgiveness. And God the Holy Spirit to to bring that transformation. You see, the Samaritan woman, she had a distorted view of religious truth. But she knew a little bit. She had the understanding of the Messiah, a Savior, who would come and reveal the truth to people. And to this despised woman, among a despised people, this woman with a distorted view of truth, Jesus, God incarnate, has willingly come to reveal Himself to her so that she could meet Him, truth, in person and be set free. Jesus has arrived. That's the seventh thing. Jesus has compassion towards people that may have a distorted view of truth. He wants to reveal Himself to them so that they can see the truth clearly and be set free. He is willing to reason with the genuine seeker and doubter who's looking for answers. He doesn't condemn them without a chance. It says Isaiah 1.18, this is God's heart. Come now, let us reason together. Let's work this out. What is the truth? We see this in action when Nicodemus comes by night and is there with Jesus and Jesus is reasoning with him. We see this after Jesus rose from the dead, doubting Thomas. He reveals himself and shows to Thomas, okay, Tom, right here, my side. Check out the hands. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. 
Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Why? God may perhaps grant them repentance to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Well, yeah, that's, that's to leaders, but it can apply to all of us. That we would be gentle with people. They might be confused, but let us share the truth with them in love. I had a very disheartening moment one time when this elderly Jehovah's Witness lady was talking to me on my doorstep, and I found out that she had been going door to door in the United Kingdom for 40 years, and that born-again Christians were the worst people for slamming the door in their, her face. I was the first Christian to open my door and said, let's sit down and have a cup of tea and talk about Jesus. And that led to months and months of sharing with her about Jesus. Isn't that sad? God's heart is to reach these people. He has a heart for those that may be a bit mixed up. Yeah? And so, here's Jesus And this woman has said, well, you know, I know that the Messiah is coming. He's going to reveal to us the truth. Now think about Jesus and think about how this played out. Verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. How do you think He said that? I think with a smile. And there's a lot in that statement. What He says. You know, he, it could be this. I, the Messiah God in human form, is talking to you, despised Samaritan woman, who has to gather your water alone in the desert heat. You who have been empty for so long, I'm here. I've come. Jesus reaching out with such compassion to this woman that no one, even in her own society, cared about. Let's read on. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. See, I told you. They're like, what's going on? But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Because they weren't brave enough. They just held it in. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to Him. So here are the disciples. They've walked up. And in their prejudice, they are wondering, why is Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman? Why? And in that moment, she's been, I believe, touched by the words of truth. And in her heart, she has left what she originally came for. That water at the well. And she's headed back into town to let everyone know what she has found. Something far greater than that water in the well. 
the Messiah, the Savior had come, the very source of spiritual living water leading to everlasting life. Jesus met and ministered to the woman, and she's believed. She's believed, and she hasn't kept it to herself. She who just a little time ago was keeping away from people because of her shame and her despised spot, she's now rushing in and letting them know Jesus is there. Now, the people must have been very impressed by this. Because here, the woman that usually keeps herself, here she is. And she's saying, come meet this man. He's told me everything I've ever done. And they wonder, what's happened to this woman? What's going on? Let's read from verse 30. They went out of the town, and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know of. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? They don't get it. It's okay, I I often don't. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for their eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. But here the saying holds true, one soul uh, sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into that labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed of his word. Then they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. What a turn of events. Jesus, ministering to this one woman, led to the salvation of many despised Samaritans. You know, the the disciples we saw there, they urge him to eat, but he declines to eat because there's so many Samaritans that are coming his way. That's the eighth thing we see about Jesus' character, the final thing we're going to consider, is that Jesus was willing to put aside his personal comfort and needs in order to minister to others. Of course, this is a foreshadowing of his ultimate sacrifice of giving his life on the cross so that others, like you and like me, could be set free from our sin. Our God is a compassionate God, a sacrificial God who has given so much so that we can have a relationship with Him, more than we can possibly fathom. He was willing to be inconvenienced, to go hungry for a little while, a long while probably. Are we willing to be inconvenienced? 
in order to reach others? Are we willing to do that? Whatever that inconvenience may be. Well, Jesus willingly stayed. He willingly stayed two days with a people despised by many. He wasn't shaped by the culture, biases, or prejudices of the day. And he's not shaped by the culture, biases, and the prejudices of today. He's still willing for any who will come to him. He will welcome them with open arms. And the Samaritans, we have to note that they said, we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Not just the Jews or the Samaritans, but the world. They actually got the big picture. The disciples hadn't even got that big picture yet. They still thought it was just about the Jewish kingdom. But they got it. Because Jesus had revealed himself to one woman. And it went from there. And so, what do we see of Jesus' character? These these eight things. There they all are. Can you read all that real quick? Okay. (laughs) It's my fault. (laughs) Jesus is not constrained by the prejudices and stereotypes that people may have. He's quite comfortable in going against the grain. And Jesus, having taken upon himself humanity, he knows what it's like to be us. He knows what it's like to be human. Don't let the enemy fool you. God knows and he cares. He cares. Thirdly, God is not constrained by the prejudices of sexism. In fact, he intentionally contradicts such prejudice in order to show that it's not in his heart. Fourthly, God is long-sufferingly compassionate. He's willing to work with a heart that is open to Him. Fifthly, God has a special place in His heart for the outcast. He is willing to go to great lengths to reach such people. Another fun story from Lauren's life. I was walking into the, the streets of San Luis Obispo, and I looked so good that there was a businessman coming the other way, and he had a briefcase in his hand, and I was, coming, I was coming toward him, and he had the briefcase on my side, so he switched it. Yeah? The funny thing is, is a week later, my hair was much shorter. Yeah, much shorter. And I walked past him, and he said, good morning. Great. Okay. Six. God, in his love, he's willing to point out our faults and our need. He's willing for people to be offended if need be, to be uncomfortable, if need be, to see their sin so that it can be dealt with. Yeah. He lovingly does so. Seventh, he has a compassionate heart towards those who have a distorted view of the truth. He wants to set them free because he gives freedom. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he was willing to put aside, to put aside his, his personal comfort, his needs, in order to minister to others. What an example to us. May we learn from his example in these dark and very divisive days that we would ask him to empower us by his spirit to give us wisdom on how to emulate his character. 
John would write this in 1 John chapter 2. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Wow. That's a high calling, isn't it? But also one of the greatest privileges to be able to have our lives point to our loving Savior. That people like us with all of our faults and failures, that He can use us to introduce others to Jesus if we're open and willing to do so. Amen? One last thing. That woman, she did not keep what she found at the well to herself. She knew that people in the village didn't like her. But what was the first thing she did? Right into the village to share Jesus. What an example to us in that. Yeah, She found Jesus and she wanted others to find Jesus too. Amen? Right. It's been a blessing. I'm going I'm to pray for you as we close up here. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Jesus, thank you for coming, for being willing to take upon yourself humanity, to live that life that we could not live, to give your life on the cross as that perfect payment for our sin. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would equip us by your Holy Spirit to be those that you can use to point others to you. Lord, give us your compassion, your heart for the people around us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.